All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? What up, whoreheads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And I know if you were listening last week, I said it might be our last episode of the year, but we have found a way to make this work, even with our Wednesdays being taken. And so we are here back this week with a definitive Christmas movie, one that there can be no arguing about. It is horror. It is comedy. It is 80s completely through and through. We're talking Gremlins this week, the movie that brought so many of us into the fold for horror and traumatized so, so many others. Uh, <laughs> this is a movie that I, I, you find a lot of with people our age, you find a lot of uh, you find a lot of lines in the sand on where people stand with Gremlins and whether or not it was something that they really liked or if it was something where they're like, no, fuck that. Fuck all movies with puppets specifically because <laughs> of Gremlins. So we are going to talk this one. We're going to have some fun with this one because I mean, honestly, Gremlins is just a lot of fun. So in a section that we're calling let's get wet. I mean, let's start it off, right? Let's, let's fire this thing up, Dave. What do you think about Gremlins, man? When did you first see it? Um, I don't remember when I first saw this. I know that I was very young. Um, this might be the first horror movie I ever watched. Um, and the interesting thing is I don't remember being scared ever with this movie. Um, right. And it very clearly is a monster movie. It is a horror movie. Uh I know that there are some people like uh, today I was talking to someone at work and um, we were talking about the fact that we were going to do gremlins on the show today. And he said, but that's not a horror movie. And like half of the teacher's lounge turned around and looked at him and they were like, what are you talking about? This is clearly a horror movie. And then the other half was like, no, it's a comedy. I'm like, guys, two things can be true. (laughs) Um, It it, it is, it, it is both those things. And, and it is very Christmas. Uh, yes. all, all at the same time. And yet I feel like the movie isn't about Christmas. So, right. so it, it, can't, it it's a movie that I think you can watch at any point of time in the year and really enjoy this movie. Um, I kind of feel that way about Black Christmas too. Black Christmas is a, a movie that I watch every Christmas season. But in the past, I have sometimes watched it in spring and summer, you know, just because it's, I think that um, it transcends the holiday. Right. So um, for me, this is one of those movies. It came out in 84. I was born in 87. So I, I don't know a world without Gremlins. Right. Um, and, and by the time Gremlins 2 came around, I think that um, although I was young, I was aware of the Gremlins mania that took over 
uh, because it's it's kind of difficult. Like if you weren't around for it to understand, like, like how crazy the the entire world. Like, um, I feel like fandoms the way that they exist today, where you have like your Marvel fans and you have your Harry Potter fans and Star Wars fans. There was some of that back in the 80s and the 90s, but absolutely mostly like if, if something was a blockbuster, like everyone was into it. Yeah. And, and everyone knew about it. So it wasn't like the Harry Potter fans got really excited about a new Harry Potter release. And then the rest of the world was like, oh, yeah, I guess there's a new Harry Potter movie. It was like literally the entire world talked about it like Batman, like everyone yeah. talked about Batman, you know, so um there was no way that you can get wrapped up in it. And even as a kid, I remember thinking Gremlins 2 was okay. It was fun. But there's something magical about the first Gremlins movie. And and it's a movie that I kept coming back to year after year. This was one that at Blockbuster I rented all the time. I don't think I ever owned it on VHS, unfortunately, because I've got a box of VHS tapes and I know it's not in there. Um, right. But, uh, but it was one of those one of those movies where when I first started collecting uh, Blu-rays and DVDs, it was one of the first ones that I bought. And uh, when I made the jump to digital, it was again, something else that I bought. So um, this is a movie that for me, like I, I keep coming back to, I love this movie and um, I'm trying to find the right time to introduce my son to it because of that awkward conversation with Phoebe Cates. And, oh yeah. Uh, uh, you know, with the whole Santa Claus thing. So I, I, I don't want to broach that subject yet, but um, it's uh, it's definitely one that I, I look forward to watching this with, with my kid. What about you? So um, let me start off with where you ended with watching it with your kids. I actually watched this last Christmas with uh, my daughter who was about turned 12 at the time and my son who was five. And like, it had been a while since I'd seen it. It got to that part and she started talking. I was like, ah, shit. And I just fast forwarded. (laughs) And then when they asked why, I was like, oh, there's a cuss word in there. Like, no, but you guys don't need to hear that part. And I just like zipped past that one scene. (laughs) But I'd I'd forgotten that it was in there. And um, so it's almost like the, the first time I watched Beetlejuice with them, I um like right as he kicks the tree, I was like, oh no. And like I had to find the yeah, remote. Nice fucking model. <laughs> nice fucking model. <laughs> then he honks his dick. I was like, yeah. oh. Um, so they they were used to me doing that on occasion and being like, the 80s were a different time, you know? Like, yes, it's yeah. rated PG, but um, so uh so I have done that. Now Gremlins for me actually started with Gremlins the new batch, which came out in 90. Okay. And so I, I don't think I saw it in 90. I think it was like 91, 92. A friend of mine got it, uh, rented it, and we watched it. And I had no idea. Like, I didn't know any of the lore of Gremlins. I didn't know what what Gizmo was. I didn't know any of it. I just watched it, and I was like, this is fun. It's a bunch of monsters, right? That one turns into a spider. Mm-hmm. He lights the white out on fire. You know, like, it gremlins to gremlins and that one's a hooker (laughs) yeah exactly gremlins (laughs) gremlins 2 makes a very like alien aliens like jump um in in subject matter (laughs) 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 but uh so and then it was it was 
years and years and years, decades later, that I finally was like, you know what? I've never actually seen Gremlins. I've only seen Gremlins 2. So I'm 40 now, and it was probably in the past 20-something years that I actually watched Gremlins for the first time. Oh, when no somebody, Yeah, when somebody was like, oh, no, like, it's a Christmas movie, and you, you got to do the whole thing. And so we, like, watched it, and I was like, okay, this is incredible. I, I love it. <laughs> the thing about this movie, on top of it just being fun, is you can see where while there were millions and millions of dollars in merchandising that were done with it, you never get the feeling that this movie was created specifically for the merchandising angle. It just lends its, it just uh-huh. lends itself to that. So perfectly. I, I yeah. mean, you could, it, it, it's, probably you look at you look at gizmo you look at mogwise you go well there's where furbies came from it took them a while right (laughs) but they got there and so it's interesting to see something where the marketing potential is so high and then kind of go back through and realize that they weren't sure how this was going to do when they released it so it wasn't something that had this massive merchandising push at first that came after when there was this ridiculously positive whiplash of everybody loved this movie and then it was like why aren't the shelves full of gizmos and right. and so they they kind of went back and they did it and you're right and then that that fandom just kind of caught fire and it's one i spent some time today just online there are still like really active gremlins fandoms out there it's it's yeah. really bizarre um, just for a movie, which what I mean, Gremlins two was ninety, and did they ever do anything else? I, I like, I think there that was, was it, uh, right? there, there was actually uh, an HBO Max animated series that came out. Um, I want to say it like two or three years ago. Maybe um, that's what reignited it. Then I, I didn't see it, but I know that there was a third Gremlins that Joe Dante was trying to get off the ground for years. Um, he apparently was not particularly happy with, uh, what was done with Gremlins 2. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't really, really blame him. You know, the, the studio got involved. They're like, Hey, there's lots of money we can make here. Uh, right. and of course, when, whenever studios get involved, um, uh, things only get worse. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and you would think by this time that like the studio system would be like, no, listen, if, if Steven Spielberg wants to produce something and Joe Dante wants to direct it, just let them do whatever the fuck they want. Right. But um, I, I I don't know, man. Uh, something happened there. And uh, and he was he was trying to get a third one done. And it just, it, I guess, turned into that animated show. And I mean, can, also, just uh, since you mentioned him, uh, like, well, you mentioned Joe Dante, but, you know, uh, Chris Columbus is the writer for this. Can I just yep. point out how huge his 1984 was to Geeks Like Us history and the fact that he wrote Gremlins and Goonies that both released in 84. Like, yeah. what a fucking stellar ass year for just nerds in general and especially Chris Columbus, the guy who wrote these things. But um, so I do. I love this movie. It has become one that I watch. Uh, I watch every December. I watch every Christmas season. Mm-hmm. I always really enjoy it. It's it's got it's got heart. 
I think is one thing mm-hmm. that you can really say for this movie that sometimes isn't something that we give not necessarily that we don't give movie that we don't give movies that we do on this podcast for. It's just it's not the type of movies that we do, right? But this movie right. has got, you know, it's it's feel good. There's there's this is this is a fun movie. It's it's gorgeous. I mean, God, the puppetry and the the animatronics or whatever you want to call it that's involved mm-hmm. in this movie are just so out of this world that they still look amazing. And it's one that's it's just not easily forgotten because everything that happens in this movie is memorable. Everything. Anybody who's ever seen a Gremlins movie can give you a basic rundown of kind of how Gremlins and Mogwai work. Right. Even if they've never seen it. Very true. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's um, the thing. It, it did kind of transcend all of that. And, and and speaking of how the Mogwais work, um, is it Mogwais or Mogwai? Is it like Jedi, where it's like uh, the the plural is the singular? One Mogwai, I think two Mogwai. I'm going, I'm going no S. I would say no S too. So uh, we have reached a consensus, and it is now official. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so in a in a section we're going to call, there's three rules. Um, the story here is surprisingly simple um i think that there's a um a far-fetched premise uh it is fantastical even uh it's almost like this takes place in an alternate dimension where something like this is possible um but in classic christmas fashion so thinking like uh it's a wonderful life there's just like this one element of fantasy in this world that is extremely realistic and that's enough for you to say like oh well it's christmas magic you know (laughs) um so how how does how does this the premise and and then the subsequent plot work for you daniel uh let me start off by saying the world would be a better place if uh mysterious men of Asian descent still ran uh shady ass shops full of stuff that you couldn't find anywhere. And like that, if that were more commonplace in the world, that was, I look for that, them everywhere I go, those, every, those every, shops, wherever I travel, I always stop at the airport. I'm like, can you please point me to your nearest mysterious Asian man? Yes. It would be wonderful if he was blind in one <laughs> eye and had long just, white just hair. Just the one. Yeah. Um, so I do. I love that. It's it's so simple. You know, there, there are so many times when we're like, well, the movie, you know, kind of established this as a baseline and then it goes here and then it goes there. I mean, he hits you with, you know, three rules. Keep them away from bright light. Don't get them wet and don't feed them after midnight. You can you follow those three things and the, the Mogwai and you will have a a wonderful life. And so it, it, it lays it out there, keeps it real simple. And then it's like, and then you immediately go, okay, well, there's three rules that are so simple. Let's see how they fuck these up. I, I mean, that's the, you, right. you know, even, even if this is your very first time, you know, you're looking at this movie, just like, all right, how is Billy going to screw this up? Turns out Billy doesn't screw it up. Corey Feldman screws it up initially. So of course. <laughs> because of fucking course he does um, sidebar. Corey Feldman is opening for Limp Biscuit on their tour um, that's happening here soon. And I can't mentally process that information. Um, I feel like it works 
what's what's more what's more metal than tommy jarvis you know uh which by the way we want to talk about massive 1984s all right we he came out with friday the 13th part four yeah goonies Mm -hmm. and gremlins in the same year i mean what a fucking year for Corey Feldman. Yeah, exactly. So, but they they take that very simple premise of, you know, how can Billy screw this up? And then how can we then go over the top with it? And what makes the story of Gremlins so good is the, the astronomical uptick that this thing takes, like once the shit hits the fan. Like everything kind of stays level for a little bit. Gizmo gets wet. You got five more. He makes one more to give to his science teacher, you know, and and you're getting there and you get that, you get this great moment where you're like, okay, they're all dead except for the one. And then it's like, oh no, he found the pool. And now there's enough to take over the city. Right. So you've got this great up and down. The pacing of this movie is fantastic. Billy is just this bumbling guy trying to work at the bank and kind of keep his family afloat because his dad is a horrible inventor. You know, fantastic <laughs> ideas for a fantastic future, just really not working out for him. But they they do so much to give you just enough story here, right, that you're totally invested in in Gizmo's safety and Billy saving and, and Billy kind of saving the city and also don't give you so much that you're ever just bogged down with tons of exposition. You don't need it. You just need to kind of get to where the gremlins start to run amok and then you see what happens. You know, they 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 lit that powder keg and then they stood back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I um I really like this story. And um, the amount of Christmas spirit that is in this story is something that um, I've struggled with from time to time. Uh, some years I think, man, this is one of the most Christmassy stories that there is. And then some years I'm like, it's a very tenuous relationship that it has with Christmas. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just the backdrop. Um, but uh, to me, I see a lot of correlation between this story and it's a wonderful life, right? Um, and uh, I'm, and I'm even interested. With, like, uh, even with like the Mrs. Deagle character, you know, uh, and uh, and and the guy that runs the bank, I forget his name. And it's a wonderful life, um, you know. Like that, th- there's there's this. It's like small town America, and you know, you have in Billy this character who's like, I'm, I don't really mean much to anyone, but my family and discovers how much he means to not just his family because he means so much more to his family but how much he means to um to everyone including himself but right. i feel like he that's something that uh we we see with um uh with judge weinhold's character very early on uh which i wish we had more interactions with him because i yes. love judge Reinhold. um but uh, we see where he's like he's struggling with like his self worth, his sense of self worth, and I think he kind of discovers that like he has value in himself uh, without you know, and, and it's fighting that sort of like capitalist consumerist um, 
sort of philosophy that we see kind of espoused a lot in Christmas time, where it's all about the gift giving and it's all about, um, you know, how nice is this thing that you're buying for someone else? How nice is this thing that you're receiving from another person? It's about discovering the worth in people, in um, in ourselves. And, right. and I really think the, the more you kind of digest story, the more Christmassy it becomes because there's a lot of, you know, tinsel and lights and stuff all over the place. And it's very easy to be Christmas in that way. But if that's your way of thinking about, okay, well, is something Christmas? And I know we're going to get to Christmasosity or Christmosity. I can't remember Christmosity. what term right. we had. Christmosity. Um, but like, to me, it like this story feels like if you were to put eggnog in your brain <laughs> and and then it gets jumbled around because there's a gremlin chasing you, that's right. exactly what this is. And, and I think that in classic monster fashion, there's like really good mythology here, which I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I think, I think that with, um, with gremlins too, like there's not an exploration of the mythology. There's an expansion of gremlins of like the exactly of what gremlins can do. And that's great. And I feel like in, in true Steven Spielberg fashion, um, they saw that they can market the gremlins as um, toys and t-shirts and pajamas and backpacks and lunch boxes and thermoses and you know, pillowcases and bedding and all this stuff. And they were like, yeah, let's do that. Cause now we have even more of it that we can do. But the actual mythology of like the Mogwai, where the fuck do they actually come from? Like, are they native to Asia? Where in Asia? Like, uh, how, Mo how, 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 how did that, that man find that Mogwai? And how does he know these rules? Like, there's so much undiscovered country here that right. I would love to see. And I think that that's part of why this movie works so well is because the uh the rules are established and never broken um and even if certain rules are created only so that they can be um used later in the movie mm -hmm. they're used well yeah uh, i mean the the word mogwai right is uh mandarin or cantonese don't hold me to it it is chinese for devil mm -hmm. right so oh, but okay. that still does but that still doesn't necessarily mean they came from China. It could just be what this guy has named it because he knows what can happen if you have a Mogwai, but it is, it is mm -hmm. either Mandarin or Cantonese. Um, I forget which, um, but yeah, it just, it just means devil, which is way super fascinating when you look at Gizmo and realize that he's just constantly being called devil, right? Cause he's got this angelic singing voice and, and yeah. just seems like a sweet guy is, uh, you know, and even he doesn't even, it's not even like he gets mad when he gets, when he gets bright light in his face, you know, he just gets cuter and tries to hide. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do agree with what you're saying. When, like, when you start to look at gremlins too, and you're like, okay, this became about 
creating because in this one really there's there's gizmo and there's stripe and that's it the rest of them are kind of interchangeable you know there's it's like yeah. oh there's the one with the ski mask on there's the one who puts the 3d glasses on but two became about like okay can we have names for them can we market this one as a specific something you know it, it, they became pokemon in 90 right like can yeah. you collect all of them because they all have names and personalities now one of my favorite and things call themselves Mogwai also in yes. fashion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they, that's just, that's, that's what they, you know, that, that, that's how they talk because, you know, they don't calling them gremlins is the, is the development of, um, this, the, the old guy with the snowplow, right. Whose name has suddenly escaped me. Um, but he, uh, it's his, He's the D one Dick who's Miller. Like, I, I don't know. He's, yeah, he's exactly. Dick yeah. Miller to me. Whatever yeah. role he's in, he's Dick Miller. And yeah, he's but he's spectacular. You know, he <laughs> just starts talking about like, oh, well, it is drunk. And he's like, oh, we had gremlins in the machines and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you go back to uh, Twilight Zone called the thing yeah. on the the wing a gremlin. Right. So it was uh -huh. it's interesting. It's interesting that this isn't the this isn't like the 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 birth of the word gremlin it just became the perfect word to describe these things and so I, I love that and i do love my favorite thing about this movie when you're talking about you know is, is it comedy is it horror it can be both my favorite thing about this movie is the fact that even though people are actively dying with the exception of you know like the very first couple that attack um that attack billy's mom all of the chaos and the violence is so looney tunes you know yeah. it, it's so it's so ridiculous it's like oh look i'm messing with the street lights <sighs> you know the cars crash because everything turns green or oh look i'm just pulling it all this stuff underneath the car now the cops don't have brakes it's all just so childish mischief gone too far Right, Mrs. And and Eagle flying out the window. <laughs> doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, is always going to get like not not a chuckle, not not a chortle, <laughs> but like a full on guffaw. Yes, like I am going yes. to like laugh from my belly. Yes, and it's like, and it starts as soon as I see him playing with the wires on the chair. Yeah. I'm like, oh god, here it comes. And so yeah, and then it's just it's it's all so ridiculous but it makes sense for these little things to cause that mm -hmm. kind of chaos and that moment when you kind of get reminded of the fact that that's what they are is when they're all sitting in the theater loving snow white and the seven yeah. dwarves you know yeah. and <laughs> and they they just they just want to eat candy and watch cartoons and sure maybe they murdered half the town on their way there but it, you know they were just goofing off boys will be boys right you know like that yeah <laughs> yeah, and I, I I I hate I hate that phrase. But <laughs> Me too. I, I I couldn't help. Um, this is the first time I've seen Gremlins since um, my youngest son gained a personality. Because uh, you you've had a couple of kids, you know, this. right? Kids kids are potatoes until yes. they're people, and then there's like a <laughs> period where they're like potato people. But like he is. Um, he is, I would say, like 90% person now and nice. only 10% potato. So um, he is a mogwai that has turned into a gremlin. <laughs> um, 
So I couldn't help but watching this and being like, oh, fuck, that's that's Wes. Because, right. like, he never means harm. He just wants to do whatever the fuck comes to his mind at that exact moment. Like, just a walking, talking, intrusive control. thought. Yes, that, that's it. Like, zero impulse control has no idea that, like, these intrusive thoughts need to be buried deep inside your mind. Um, that's what these things are. Yeah, I mean, like that. You know, you've always, you you always. It's like you see the stoplights change. You're like, man, it would be bad if they just all turned green at the same time, right? But then you don't actively try to find a way to make it happen. Yeah, you just wonder how bad it would be. Yeah, we're we're adults. We we bury we bury those intrusive thoughts deep down. We don't actually suddenly just steer our car into the barrier because we wonder how bad it's going to be. You know, you just you just keep driving. You just, you just, you focus on the road. You're like, nope, gotta get where I'm going, right? So, yeah. I, but I, I, I love that. I love that there are there are some absolutely gruesome things that that happened because of Mogwai, to Mogwai, whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, like she puts the one in the juicer, man. Like, yeah, and that's and the, that's like the very first death. Yeah, of the movie. It's like, holy fuck, you just juiced a monster. And the green yeah. blood is splattering everywhere. It's it, it's good. Yeah. And then and then the one in the microwave is just like, okay, sharp left. We're in horror territory now. And so, but yeah. then what's amazing about that scene is that's so cut that's so comedic. And like I said, Looney Tunes, but then you get that scene where it's just stripes, red eyes in the tree before he just attacks her straight out of the tree. And that is that is reminiscent of the scene when uh, when Chucky first comes to life yeah. for the mom, you know, and she's struggling against that whole thing. And yeah, that's scary as shit. Or I guess maybe it's not Stripe that does that because the one who does that gets hit into the fireplace. Right. So but anyway, mm. you know, so they they balance everything beautifully in this movie through this wonderful pacing that they have, which I, I think is, is something that, that you, that this movie can never get enough credit for. And so I, I love yeah. the way that it just, that it all plays out. You get your one little sweet soft moment between uh, Phoebe Cates and Billy there um, mm. in the middle. And you kind of learn, you know, because there's that great scene where she's like, what is it? Uh, say you hate Arbor day or George Washington's birthday and nobody bats an eye, you know, but it's like, <laughs> it, but it, she can't understand why nobody, like, like everybody gets so mad that she doesn't like Christmas. It, yeah. It's just the, you get that one little sweet scene and it's like, all right, let's get back to the action. You get a great hero moment from gizmo. I, I mean, it really does. It just plays to all those classic things that make for a fun movie. Yeah. And so, so you know, we, we keep mentioning names. And so, I mean, let's let's get into it. Let's talk about these people. So in a car in a category, a section, if you will, that we're calling Kingston Fallsers, let's <laughs> talk about the people of Kingston Falls. Uh, who stands out for you? Who do you like? Whose performances did you think were stellar? You know, take me through it. Um, so just just because you know she's she's out there. Uh, I have to apologize to Phoebe Cates for um, all the thoughts I've ever had about her. Um, yeah, and and now and now that that's done, I'm gonna move on. Um, well played. So, so um, 
there's there's two characters because it's very easy to talk about either her or Zach Galligan because like they they're fantastic. You know, they steal the show. Corey Feldman is always great in everything he's in. I am a Corey Feldman fan. I fucking love Feldman. Um, but I feel like we can go on and on about these people and 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 people often do. But there's two small roles that to me are like really what makes Kingston Falls feel like its own unique magical place. Um, the first we just mentioned him is uh, Dick Miller as uh, Murray Futterman. That was the name. It's the Futterman. There we go. Um, Dick Miller is someone who in every movie I have ever seen him in, he's got a small role and he steals the scene no matter what it is. And they're not usually very likable characters. They're usually someone who is like kind of a dick, but you've known enough of these kinds of people where you can find the humanity in this character. And I kind of see that in Futterman where um, like, I, I, I know that guy. I work with that guy. I'm related to that guy. Yeah. Um, and, 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 And that's, kind of the magic of that character is like is he a racist yes can you laugh at him also yes and I, I think it's a, I think it's okay to laugh at racists for them being a racist number one right and 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 number two because they can still be funny and yeah. and and I think that that's that's how he played he played Futterman as Yes, xenophobic, but also just fucking funny. Because that, bought a scene, that fucking scene, man, <laughs> that's the one. I fucking love that scene. <laughs> because number one, Zenith TVs are fucking awesome. All right? <laughs> I worked hard for that Zenith. All right. Uh, because I could have bought something else and I didn't. I bought a Zenith. <laughs> I, I, I was I was in fucking ninth grade, man. I mowed lawns all summer long so that I could buy a zenith. Nice. Anyway, um, you know that that scene, you know, with the, you know, hey, what are you doing with the clicker? And then she's like, you have it in your lap. You know, it's to, to me. There's there's such a a humanity to his character that um, Mrs. Deagle is devoid of, which is fantastic right. because like that's really where you get to see like listen you can be a good person or a bad person but if you're a person you're better than this like money hungry grub that's over here like that's not mm-hmm. human you celebrate when she gets thrown out the window yes but with the fundamentals it's sad you know because yeah. they were just kinda, you know living their lives and like yeah you never did anything wrong really i guess that we saw you know just again gave into intrusive thoughts um and the, the the second character is uh, the amazing Jonathan Banks as Deputy Brent. Dude, I just it's so crazy. You know, when we did uh, when we did uh, uh, oh my god, um, Wes Craven, George Romero, um, Creep Show. When we did Creep Show, we oh, talked yeah. about the fact that like Lance Hendrickson has just uh, not Lance Hendrickson. That's Pumpkinhead, but that also applies. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, we we talk about these people who it's like, you can go back 40 years and watch movies and they still looked old. And yeah, Yeah. like, like Jonathan, Jonathan Banks, it's like, oh yeah, that's him. He's still old. He just had hair, uh, 40 years ago. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. And and somehow looked older with the hair. Yes. Than without the hair. <laughs> I don't I don't know how he managed to do that. But yeah, but, like uh, I love I love when they're like, Are you drunk? He's like, No, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Deputy Brent is exactly the kind of police officer that makes you upset at your municipal police department. Right. But is exactly the kind of guy you want to have a beer with. <laughs> okay. Uh, and and, and I, I feel like the, the residents of Kingston Falls are riddled with this, like, duality where it's like, you kind of suck, but also, like, don't people suck? <laughs> yeah. And these people that suck are the same people that I want to go have a drink with. They're these same people that at the Christmas party, I'm going to hope that they steal my white elephant gift. And I it's it's very, very real, I think, because as cartoonish as these characters are, I find myself saying, oh, this reminds me of this person that I actually know. And this reminds me of this other person that I actually know. Uh, it's almost like a real life Springfield. And I know I always throw that out whenever we have like a very colorful cast of, of characters, because to me, Springfield is like the perfect comedic city. Right. Um, uh, but there's still something a little bit more grounded than Springfield here, where it's just, you know, I, I would, I would not be upset if I lived in Kingston Falls. After all this happened, because I don't want to experience the uh, the gremlin thing. What about you? Um, I so you know you talked about uh, Murray Futterman. I loved Jackie Joseph and the little role she had as his wife yeah. Sheila, just because you know we we've gotten so much of Murray's an asshole, you know, and it's like he's or you know, but like, but one of those things is like he's an asshole, but he's our asshole, right? You know, because it's like he walks up. Oh, your car is frozen up again. Piece of shit, foreign car. I'm not going to do anything to help you. I'm just going to stand there and talk shit about it. I'm just going to tell you, oh, you should get that car. (laughs) And so we've gotten all of this. And then you find out that he's just got like this sweet older lady wife at home who puts up with this shit. You know, he immediately catches an attitude about the remote. She's like, oh, you're sitting on it. And she's back to her, you know, knitting and whatnot. Like she, it was, it was so funny in that one little scene they had together, just kind of the way that they played off of each other and how she was unlike him in every single way. And, you know, it, it was, it was, it was fun to see that. And to kind of, you know, just enjoy that moment. It's like, man, you know what? Like, there must be something to him, right? If this sweet lady is married to him. So she yeah. did a great job. Um, I just, man, when I watch this movie, it's like, yes, okay. You know, great, great job by Phoebe Cates of, you know, being there. You know, right. She, she, she did what she needed to do. And she was perfect at it. But you mentioned him earlier, man. I wanted more Judge Reinhold. Like, I I wanted him as this really brief, you know, like, anti-capitalism statement where it's like, well, look at the dickhead that that only cares about being a millionaire by the time he's 30, you know? And I would have fired you and bop, 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 bop. You know, like, all of that. It was, he was, there was just enough of him but also I wanted like a little bit more and really one of the things that, that makes you love him in that role is just 
when you watch movies from this run where Judge Reinhold was just kind of in everything, you know, including this reunion yeah. between him and Phoebe Cates, because uh, uh, what Ridgemont High was 81, 82. Right. So that it, that was before like that. Yeah, yeah. they were together in this. So um, but you just you always get that reminder of it's like, I don't know how much breadth this guy has as an actor, but I know that he kind of falls perfectly into everything he's asked to do, even though they're all kind of variations of the same thing, but he was always perfectly mm -hmm. cast. And so I would have liked to have seen him a little bit more, but that bit of him that we got, I think it, it really worked to make Billy seem that much better about the fact that, you know, he didn't really, he made enough money to get by and he still had a great family. And that's what it was all about. And you're talking, you know, talking about the Christmas thing of this, right? You're, you're looking at all these people who all they care about is money. And then you got the guy where it's like, look, my, my family has a house. I'm living with him. I'm happy. You know, he's Judge Reinhold and um and the the banker lady, you know, uh, Miss Deagle. You know, they're the Ebenezer mm -hmm. Scrooge to his Bob Cratchit. Right. You know, you can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, there are there are wonderful life comparisons here. But but there's a th that the Christmas Carol element of it here of. Yeah. All these people that are lording over you and constantly threatening to to end your life. They don't know what Christmas is all about. We never see their families. We know that, you know, Miss Deagle apparently lives home alone and is just miserable. And, you know, Judge Reinhold has a bunch of money, but Phoebe Cates don't want to date him. So, right. you know, like you, you, you get that great element of it, too. So I did like his his role was kind of perfect for what he was. Kind of just wanted to maybe see him get some comeuppance. Right. Um, and yeah, so I, I wonder if there was more of him in the movie and it just didn't make it off the cutting room floor. Right. And that, um, it's a possibility because it seemed like they were setting him up to, you know, to to get, you know, to get his goes around comes around. Right. You know, they, yeah. they, they put him in there. They, they, they make him a well-known jerk and, and all of this. It seems like they were setting him up to maybe get something. So maybe when I say I want some more of him, that, that's what it is. I wanted to see Judge Reinhold get his. Um, and so, you know, and yes, when, when, when you're talking about the character, Zach Galligan, he did great. He was kind of exactly what he needed to be. He was just an average looking dude who ends up getting the girl. He's a great artist. You know, he's so deep and he loves his family. And he did all of that really well. Um, and yeah, Corey Feldman, man, can't miss. The 80s, 80s Corey Feldman did not miss. Like, like That's no. just a fact. That's just an absolute fact is that that dude only hit dingers in the 80s. And so... It, it was it was good but yeah like jonathan banks man seeing him young while still kind of looking as old if not older than when he's mike in uh <laughs> right. in breaking bad was yeah it's, it's so bizarre and i always forget that it's him until i see him and i'm like oh my god that's right like i always forget he's in this movie until that moment shit he was also in uh beverly hills cop with judge reinhold it has been so long since I've seen Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, I could. I was actually I mean, thinking I need to rewatch it. Then. it. Right. Um, but uh, I had zero recollection of Banks being in Beverly Hills Cop. I was actually thinking I need to rewatch it here soon because there's a sequel 
coming out soon. Like uh, there's a new yeah. Beverly Hills cop coming out. So I was like, I need to go back and rewatch those. I haven't seen them in forever. Now I, I remember the first two, but I don't remember anything about the third one. I top of my head. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have even told you there was a third one. So I don't know that I've ever seen it. No, yeah, there you go. All right. Seen Beverly Hills uh, Ninja. Uh, you know what? I, uh, I like that movie. I'm just going to put it out there. Movie. I love that um, movie. I, I am a Chris Farley fan, and um, it may not be good, <laughs> but, it, it, but it is a movie, and it is a movie that makes me laugh. Yes. Despite the fact, in spite of the fact that it's no good. Correct. <laughs> Which I think says more about me than about the movie. Um, <laughs> so... Um, the uh, the only characters we haven't talked about, uh, and we do this every time, no one should be surprised, are um, our little monsters, our gremlins, the Mogwai, right? Um, so you did a little bit of research here. Uh, Mogwai is devil in uh, either Cantonese or Mandarin, um, something, something there, um. What do these creatures do for you? So as, as far as creature features go, um, do you think that they, I mean, obviously they've stood the test of time, but right. how do they stack up against some of these other like amazing creatures in the pantheon of creature features? So quick question about the rules. Um, do the Mogwai inherently know what time zone they're in? Or uh, are you always supposed to not feed them after midnight, wherever they're from? Also, isn't it always after midnight? <laughs> like, at what point These, does it become <laughs> safe to feed your mogwai again? Um, listen, man. Um, these are the thoughts that have haunted me since the very <laughs> first time I ever saw this movie. Because I... Um, I remember being like very, very little and turning to my dad and saying, but the next day is after midnight. Right. And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, so you never feed him again? And he was like, I don't know, man, watch the movie. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> okay, fair. So let's just yeah. assume after midnight till the sun comes up, we'll go somewhere around there, right? Um, no, okay. So I, I figure six o'clock is morning. There we go. Okay, I'll give you that. Six o'clock is morning. So from six until eleven fifty-nine, fair game. There we go. There we but go. That, that All right. Six hour. They 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 have to fast. Fair. Good. All right. There we go. Problem solved. Put the stamp on it. Uh, so the Mogwai are a great uh, are a great lesson in something that we discussed god i guess it was a year and a half ago now when we did puppet master and mm -hmm. it's this idea that you don't have to create the biggest strongest movie monster if you create a horde of movie monsters right yeah. the thing yeah. is one one mogwai is not the scariest thing ever, even once it's eaten after midnight and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's gremlin form. We watched Billy's mom take out th two of them and then Billy show up and take out another. Right. Mm -hmm. So one is not that bad. 
it's uh you know just like zombies one zombies is not a problem it's hordes and hordes of these things or one that is extremely devious that can create hordes like we get in stripe so i think that there's a fun element to the the mogwai to gremlins as a movie monster in the idea of a movie monster that just overwhelms you that is nothing but intrusive thought and they think it's just funny they think killing is so funny they kill each other over card games and (laughs) you know they just they just they just it's funny you know violence is funny watch me shoot you you know like um okay so here's, here's a question now that you brought up that scene um the mogwai reproduce asexually correct yes so there's no gender there's gender there's no sex okay so there's no sex but there is gender identity right right because stripe has a girlfriend yes (laughs) who is like biologically neither like male nor female right so yes so while while sex does not exist Yes, yes. While 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 there is no there there is no there is no sex involved, the gender identity seems to be a thing for for Magua. Yeah, because she's you know she's yeah. got the lipstick and the blonde wig, and she's she's hanging onto his arm while they're playing cards. And yeah, so I think that that yes, there is gender, but no, there is not sex. Right, like their organs are all the same, but their their identity, right. their 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 social. In, in what they are in gender is different. Uh, and so, um, but I, I think, you know, it's obvious that they've stood up because here we are watching this movie almost or 40 years late, almost 40 years later. Right. And we're, we're still enjoying it. They, they still look good. There's still a lot of fun. And I think that they're really, they're the blueprint for, you know, how to successfully do things like Puppet Master and stuff like that. Um, critters. Be, yeah, Critters. There we go. Yeah. Um, critters is the one I was trying to think of, um, but Puppet Master kept popping into my head. But yeah, I mean, you, you see that in the fact that they had all of these spinoffs, you know, the, these these things that obviously kind of happened because we had gremlins are are just massive in numbers. So I think that while a group of gremlins isn't going to necessarily make your Mount Rushmore of creature features, I think they're always going to be a fun, honorable mention. Um, You know, I, I think that gremlins goes beyond the movie. Um, like the the title of the movie is Gremlins, but right. I feel like what what it did for the creature Gremlin um, is it transcended the movie and and transcended even uh, the new batch. For me, um, I feel like Gremlins are like a a concept unto themselves. They're they're okay. that massive, you know. Um, because like you, you can say the creature from the Black Lagoon, and I think of the movie. Right. Uh, you can you can even say something like um, Frankenstein's monster, and what I think of is the movie Frankenstein. 
Like if, if you say the name Frankenstein, I immediately think of the movie. I don't think of the monster, right? right. Or I think of the novel, not the monster. When you say gremlins, I think of many disassociated mogwai. I don't yeah. think of, I don't immediately jump to the movie gremlins. I don't immediately jump to gremlins too. I never jumped to gremlins too, but um, <laughs> that's, that's to me how absolutely important of a creature this thing is. Um, and I think a lot of that is um, there's two people who I think are like really responsible for this. Um, three. The first is uh, Chris Columbus because uh, w without his initial script, um, this could very easily have been like a very straight horror movie. Yeah. Without without the comedy angle, without the Looney Tunes of it all, it would have been uh, it, it would have been just that. Um, and then there's um, the special effects artist who, uh, for some reason, his name escapes me now. Um, but then there's Joe Dante, who is, I think, one of the most important special effects directors that rarely gets spoken about. Uh, because going back to the 70s with Piranha, he mm -hmm. is he's, he's the kind of guy who um, Roger Corman, when he had a very special effects heavy movie, there were two guys he would go to uh, later in his career. It was either James Cameron or Joe Dante. Like these two guys came up together in the Roger Corman like system. And thanks to all of the work that he did with Corman, he learned how to really create special effects heavy movies without you thinking about like, wait, what's the budget for this movie? You know, because like, right. to me, when I see a special effects like spectacle, one of the things that I'm constantly thinking of is how much did that shot cost? And that's not something I ever think about with this movie. In Gremlins, I'm just thinking like, man, that was really fucking cool. Right. And, and whether it's stop motion or whether it's puppetry, he manages to kind of mesh these two things together in a way that just we, we don't see anymore. Movies like this, we talked about this when we did um, Silver Bullet. You don't see movies like this anymore. You don't see movies like um, Day of the Dead anymore. Uh, because even though it's not more cost effective to do computer graphics, it's easier to do computer right. graphics. You'll pay more money to have someone do less uh, work because you know you're going to get the shot even though it's not in the camera. Right. So um, to, to me, these the, the Mogwai work so well because they're beautifully written, they're beautifully created, and beautifully shot. Like, it is perfection. It's creature perfection. Like, to go back to the creature from the Black Lagoon, like, the creature from the Black Lagoon is the iconic creature that it is, for a lot of different reasons, but it goes back to the conception of the thing, the way it was executed, the way it was shot. And you can thank pretty much Riku Browning for, for all of that. And that's, that's what you have here. It's just more of a collaborative effort. But to me, you have 
the gizmo, right? The like mm-hmm. the, the original the original Mogwai, which is I think just as iconic as Chucky. I think it's just as iconic as uh Jason Voorhees. It's just as iconic as Michael Myers. Um in fact maybe more so because the audience is greater. Wider because net. Because I it's a wider net because my grandmother knows who Gizmo is and my son even though he hasn't seen the movie knows who Gizmo is. Right. But my grandmother doesn't know Michael Myers' name. She knows Halloween. She knows it's that <laughs> dude from from Halloween, but she couldn't tell you that his name was Michael Myers. I can almost guarantee you. I mean, maybe she might, but I don't think so. I'll tell you one thing that was funny to me about the Mogwai that I that I just learned today while while reading it. I in all of these years never had any idea that Howie Mandel was Gizmo. Yeah. Like that had just that that bit of knowledge had always just kind of flown under my radar. Like as I'm scrolling through stuff, today, I was like, "Wait, like the same Howie Mandel?" <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, "Yeah, oh, okay, well, you know, yeah. good for him." Both both Peter Cullen and Frank Welker, so Optimus Prime and Megatron, voiced the Mogwai. Really and. Yeah, and in 1984, they would have been working on Transformers together. So it actually was Optimus Prime and Megatron voicing these guys. It's uh, it, there's there's so much to them, and and like the the cuteness of like the original fuzzy Mogwai and mm-hmm. the the you know the demonic quality to the 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 bad Mogwai is part of why it works so well because it's still like, it manages to be cute and funny sadistic and all these things. And I think that they're funny enough where you want to laugh with them. But if you actually stop and think about what they do, it's, it's very much like Looney Tunes, right? Right. Stop and think, stop and think about the violence in these cartoons. Like it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Um, like you don't see violence like that in cartoons anymore uh, because parents complained all the time. Right. And I know boomers love to talk about like, uh, kids these days, you know, we, we watched it and we were fine. Fucking were you? Um, but, but also like their parents were complaining about the fucking Tom and Jerry's. They were complaining about the Wiley coyotes and, and the Roadrunners, runners um, right. all the fucking time because it's, it's, it, it's just so over the top. I feel like it it has to be that over the top. It has to be that Looney Tunes or it doesn't work. So their sense of humor is really like it's it's integral to their character. I don't think this movie works as a straight horror movie. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I love your time about the, the, the character of them. I love that when the others first, you know, spawn out of Gizmo's back it takes no time at all to look at them and realize, okay, these ones ain't good. Like, you know, yeah. like they, they did such a good job with that puppet creation and the way that they behaved and acted before you, as soon as you saw them, you immediately knew that those new ones were not good. Like they weren't just going to hang out and play keyboard with you and stuff like that and, right. and cuddle up for nighttime. <laughs> like you knew that, right away 
And they did such a good job with just little subtle things that they did with their faces, with the way their heads were shaped. So that, that you see Gizmo and you go, oh. And then you see Stripe and all them before they change. You're like, ah, oh, mm, those are monsters, right? Gizmo, sweet baby. You know, these <laughs> monsters kill it with fire. Like that whole thing, right? Like you get that immediately when you watch. And again, that's just credit to the amazing character design and puppetry that this movie is uh, full of. Yeah. So we've, 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 got, we've gotten to it a little bit. Um, but now we need to kind of come back to it. And in a section that we're all, that we always do when we do these holiday movies, we need to talk about the Christmosity of Gremlins. Now you said you've had a tenuous relationship with Gremlins and its Christmosity at times. So take us a little bit more into your wonderful life theory and and how all of that goes and how Christmassy do you think this movie is? So I, it's it's been a roller coaster. Because um, there have been periods of my life when I think that um, Christmas is just the setting. And right. the movie has very little to do with Christmas. Uh, and in fact, the last time that I watched this movie, I thought, you know what? It's not very Christmassy. Like, it's obviously a Christmas movie. But the Christmas spirit, I felt like my favorite Christmas movie of all time is Christmas Vacation. And I feel like the Christmas spirit is alive and well in Christmas Vacation. Right. And I felt like it just wasn't here. I didn't see it the last time that I saw this, which was last Christmas. Um, because I saw it almost like First Blood. And I've okay. made this argument before that like, you can make an argument that First Blood is a Christmas movie because it takes place during Christmas time. There's Christmas lights twinkling and, uh, you know, store windows there's christmas trees it's cold as fuck as sylvester stallone's running away from all these fucking cops right um christmas movie right he's trying to reunite with uh with friends that's christmasy i didn't see a lot of that there in years past but upon watching it this last time um there was something about that initial interaction with uh, with Billy and Judge Reinhold and and Deagle and all of it just kind of clicked and I was like, dude, that's that's fucking it's a wonderful life. That's Jimmy Stewart. He's Jimmy Stewart, you know. And and while he never like wishes that he was dead, he sees that like his value is more than just the guy who works for his family. His value right. is more than his value is more than just like I pick up the slack because my dad can. He offers so much more to his mother, to his father, to um shit, I always forget her name, but Phoebe Cates's uh character in this right? Kate. She's just yes, thank Kate. you. Um Kate, yeah. Um and just anytime I see her, I'm like, oh, that's that's Phoebe Cates. I never even think right. of her as Phoebe or as Cates, just Phoebe Cates. It's all just like Correct. one thing. It's like Molly Ringwald. She's always Molly Ringwald. Nothing um, but. Yeah. Um, speaking of someone else I've had a gigantic crush on all my life. Um, so there's, I think, something very Christmassy about that, about finding your place within your family, within your community, within this you know, this person that you deeply love and you hope that they love you back, but you're not really sure 
where that relationship is going, because clearly they're not in a committed relationship. If Judge Reinhold is coming on to her and asking her to, you know, come over to his place, there's there's not a committed relationship there. There's maybe a, a relationship, you know, um, I, 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 I don't know what exactly is going on, but they're both living their lives. And trying well, to hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is, is that like an established term that I just don't know? Because you just threw it out there like that's that's like vernacular. Um, not that I know of. No. Um, okay. well played, sir. I, uh, write, it, write it in the shiver dictionary. It's, it's, uh, it's the term that I use to describe Tom Buchanan and Daisy Buchanan in, um, the great Gatsby all the time. <laughs> with my students. Uh, I say they don't have a relationship. They have a relationship and, um, I like it. Well, we know how that ends up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but it, by the end of this movie, they no longer have a relationship. Like they are like actively working to like to to unite because they yeah. they've left the capitalist consumerist uh, like Christmas behind, and they're worried about like saving themselves. And 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 to me, that seems like more Christmassy than almost anything else. Um, you know, where it's like, it's not about the gifts. It's not about, you know, um, it's, it, it's not about like, you know, wearing nice clothes and, you know, giving jewelry. And it's, it's about like being there for someone, helping them through that hard time. Um, you know, it, it's, it's almost like, a, like an O. Henry story where it's like, Hey, I got you this thing. And they're like, Oh great. I can't use it because I sold that thing that that was for to get you your thing. And it's like, Oh no, we, forgot that the greatest gift was each other and that's Thanks, mickey exactly mouse for teaching what... me that story <laughs> had, you, had, had you never read that before before uh no. once upon a christmas <laughs> it's what like when i saw it in once upon a christmas i was like this seems vaguely familiar <laughs> <laughs> i i have I have a recollection of a sixth grade uh english teacher once reading this with me yeah exactly yeah. um <laughs> yeah no i think this is one you know, and yeah, I, like often when the when the debate comes up of whether or not something is a Christmas movie, I just love to play devil's advocate. Right. Because honestly, I, I don't give a shit. Watch what makes you happy. Watch it whenever you want. You know, um, and so, you know, I, I tend to stand firmly in the camp of die hard, not really a Christmas movie. Bah, bah, bah. You know, we don't need to have the argument now. But. I usually, I, but I also just, I, what you just did, that's what I love to hear about people. Or like, I like to hear about from people. I love when somebody can give me an argument for something being a Christmas movie other than, well, it takes place on December 24th. All right, cool. Right. Um, and so I do, I always, I always kind of egg those arguments on because I want to hear what people have to say. A uh, buddy of mine, Brian Olu, one time made a spectacular case for Rocky Four being a Christmas movie. And uh, about <laughs> how all the montages, in, you know, speaking of Stallone movies, all the, the montages of him working out in the snow and stuff like that to better himself for his family and for his legacy and all of that. And it just made a spectacular argument. So yeah, sure. To, to Brian, Rocky Four is a Christmas movie. And he's a rock. This is dude is a published author who has written like essays and poems about Rocky. Like that's his shit. Good. So I just, <laughs> I, I love to hear what people have to say about that because 
I tend to just kind of be in the camp of like, yeah, like, oh, lights. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Snow. Good. Caroling Mogwai. Yes, yes, yes. He's, a, you know, Gizmo is a Christmas <laughs> present. Uh, like, I make the most rudimentary arguments for whether or not something is a Christmas movie that I, I often find myself painted into a corner. Of, like, th- that's always one where I'm willing to be like, okay, sure. You're right. You know, and, and that's cool. This is one where I just kind of do that. I lean heavily into this one being a Christmas movie and and the aesthetic is such a big part of it. And so now knowing I was going into this podcast and kind of realizing I needed to have more to it than that, that is when I started to kind of build my case uh, based on the Mrs. Deagle Judge Reinhold thing. And so you've got Billy's dad, trying to get home to his family in time for Christmas. You know, he's just, he's out there trying to do the right thing and provide for his family. And now he's stuck out in the cold and and he's trying to get home. So, you know, there we go. Trying to get home Christmas check, right? You've got, you've got this one guy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, I know know that's Thanksgiving, but that, but, um, but, oh my God, just such, such a movie that, I mean, and I know it gets plenty of credit, but that's honestly a movie that uh, planes, trains, and automobiles can never get enough credit for me. No. Um, and so then you've got you've got Billy, who's just he's working a job he hates, but he's still trying to hang on to the fact that what he has at home is what's more important, right? So then you, like I said, then you've got your Cratchit angle. You've got Deagle coming in and and being your Ebenezer Scrooge and going beyond. I'm just going to ruin your Christmas. This bitch wants to kill his dog. Because he, you know, her yeah. dog, his dog broke a snowman. Like, yeah, this woman is evil. Gremlins, they're yeah, they're intrusive thoughts, and and they kill some people. But maybe it's kind of funny. Deagle is evil, <laughs> you know. Like, and it's because she is this embodiment of that that capitalist angle of Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got Judge Reinhold, the guy who's kind of mixed up about what it's all about, and he's all about the money and stuff like that, and he hasn't been visited by his three ghosts yet, but they're in his future. They're absolutely see. It's going to be one of those things where Deagle's going to die or does die. De- Gremlins Gremlins one point five is the story of Judge Reinhold being visited by Deagle's ghost <laughs> and having to realize where his view of Christmas went wrong. Right. So you there's so much of that in there that like the, it's the the B. You do know that's Charles lines. Dickens, right? Also, not Mickey Mouse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, okay, all right, all right. not Kermit the Frog <laughs> is what you're getting at. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but yes, that one I did know. Um, so (laughs) there's, there's so much of this that I think just lends itself perfectly to going beyond that Christmas aesthetic that, um, that you can't help but say how Christmassy it is, even though Christmas isn't necessarily at the heart of this movie. Once you get outside of the fact that Gizmo is an early Christmas gift, but the the lessons that everyone is learning as the story progresses are Christmassy. So I, I think that this is another one where the for for a very different reason than the mean one was very was was Christmasity meter in the red. This one is absolutely burying the needle on Christmasity. Yeah, perfect. Um, and that leaves us really with just one thing left to do, which is to rate this movie. Um, and we discussed it at the uh, at the top of the show uh, or before the show started. 
Um, so this is going to be new for everyone. They don't know. We know. Right. Uh, so it was not top of the show. I'm just a fucking liar. Um, <laughs> trying to talk my way out of that one. I'm like, nah, it's not going to happen. I just, I lied. Sorry. Um, so uh, if you are new to the podcast, this might be something new to you. Uh, our longtime listeners and viewers know this. We never rate movies using stars because uh, it's kind of unfair to rate uh, Gremlins uh, with, um, what did we do last week? Uh, the the main one. one. You know, uh, it's, they're two different movies. Even if they're about Christmas, they're two different movies. So it, it wouldn't be fair. So we always use a unique rating system. Uh, we use a different metric every single week. Uh, and so Danny and I discussed this and... Uh, this week we are going to do, uh, was it Rampaging uh, Snowplows? Yes. Rampaging, Rampaging Snowplows. So, uh, Daniel, out of a possible five Rampaging Snowplows, how many Rampaging Snowplows do you give this? So, for all of the reasons that we've discussed, I don't know that there's any way to make this movie better. I don't think that there's a tweak you can make that there's that there's something you could change where this movie is suddenly going to find a way to earn more rampaging snowplows. I think that it is a great creature feature. I think it is a great Christmas movie. I think it has just immense amounts of immense amount of heart. I think that you can watch it with your whole family. And if they're younger, you fast forward through the Phoebe Kate scene <laughs> and then um, and and it just stacks up to this is a five out of five rampaging snowplows. I, there, I have absolutely nothing that I could take away even half of a snowplow from Gremlins. Um, I think that the only way that I can give this anything less than five is um, if I had remembered to take my stupid pills this morning. <laughs> Like, it's just, this This movie is, it's perfect. It's Christmas, yeah. it's horror, it's comedy, it's everything you want out of any movie. Because if, if your movie doesn't have a little bit of horror in it, it's less than what it should be. Right. And if it doesn't have a little bit of comedy in it, it's also less than it should be. Because those two things exist in, in, in perfect balance in this movie much the same way that it does in like uh like a return of the living dead you know right so and, and then and then you throw christmas in the mix and the fact that christmas actually is important to the story that thematically it plays into that i mean it is i i think we're talking about a perfect christmas movie here yeah agreed so so there yeah, you have so it. there you go we are at a solid five out of five consensus rampaging snowplows for Gremlins. Uh, this is one if you're if you're watching us now and you, you still haven't seen Gremlins. This is oh we got we got Andy uh, chiming in here it says a Hoyt act in selling smokeless ashtrays. You're right, it has everything. Yeah. Um, and so if, if you're watching this and you've not seen Gremlins, add this to you've got uh, if you're watching live, you've got six days left till Christmas. Get it tossed in there before it's all mm -hmm. said and done. We promise you will not regret it. Uh, and so 
that's it. That's it for this episode. Now, we I, if you were watching last week, I did say it might be our last one, but we have worked out not only doing this week, but we will be back one more time in 2023. And mm-hmm. so, uh, but also on an altered schedule. So if you're one of the people who watch us live, we will be back on the 29th, which is uh, mm-hmm. Friday of next week. So we're, we're altering, we're working around our Christmas schedules, but we're doing it for y'all because we just kept missing so much and we've got the time now. So we want to make it happen. So make sure you head to shiverpod.com where you can find links to all of our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as the YouTube channel where you can watch us live, uh, usually every Wednesday, but right now just kind of whatever we go live. If you follow us mm-hmm. on those social media outlets, you'll get the announcement once we decide what movie we will be watching next week. And you'll mm-hmm. also get some funny memes and some things like that that i like to throw up there instagram is the one where we're most active if you have an idea of one we should do and you're watching us live now i will tell you we haven't officially decided what movie we're doing next week hit us up the dms or you can always email us at shiverpod at gmail.com absolutely um i think that's it i think it's it i think we got it yeah Yeah, I think that's it. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, pride you very much.